Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, Patricia has an article for us. So uh, would you tell us a little bit about what we're going to learn today? Yeah. So the article I read is um, actually one that took place in a nursing population. So it's kind of, it feels very relevant to today. Um, I'll tell you why. Mostly it's about perceived control. So being able to have control over situations at work and how that relates to emotional exhaustion and vitality. So spoiler alert, when you feel like you've got control, you are less exhausted and you feel more alive. You feel more vigorous, vivacious, all those good things. Um, And there's an element of identity commitment and self-esteem as well in this article. So about how you feel about your job and yourself and how that can actually impact um, all of this to your wellness. That's awesome. That's very cool. And I think that studying anything in nursing populations is extremely relevant right now. Um, So I'm sure there are some nurses out there who will listen and be particularly interested um, in understanding uh, this value of personal control. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yep. I think Um, it's really relevant to them, and I think it's really relevant to a lot of us. So should be... Should be a fun discussion. Yay. Awesome. I'm excited. So um, how is your life right now? My life is pretty good. Um, so again, for everyone listening, our fabulous producer, Allie, should have probably just had a baby. Um, this is launching in June and we are recording in April, getting ready for her leave. So right now in April... It is a little bit of a gloomy day, but it's been a busy day, so gloomy isn't necessarily bad. Sometimes that helps me focus and not get distracted by wanting to be in the sunshine. So, yeah, pretty good day. How about you? I don't even know what kind of day it is outside. I, like, literally <laughs> have a problem. I think it will change in our new house because there's so much more, like, light, like natural light in the, like, living space. But mm-hmm. because our house is, like, long and skinny, there's only, like, the back room has, like, windows, but everything else has no windows. So if I just, like, stay in my, like, living room and my room for most of the day, like, I don't even sometimes know what's happening outside. Like, it's bad. I have no idea what the weather was like today. I didn't go outside once. <laughs> um, and, well, like, normally that would be not true. Like, I probably would go out and do something on a normal day if – it wasn't quarantine, but since quarantine has happened, like I realized last week, like four days went by and I never went outside one time. Oh my gosh. I know. I wow. was like really just not going outside. Um, so, and then I like went and took like walks and stuff like that um, on the other days. Cause our house is like a two mile walk from here. So we walk there, we stop in, we say hi to the new house and then we walk back. So it's like, it's a decent walk um, like four miles. So um, we do that like three, we've been doing that like three times a week or something like that. But, um, yeah, I've just kind of been like holed up today. And also I have to start packing stuff. So I feel like whenever you're packing, you're just kind of like sucked into your house and not like out of your house. Definitely. Packing is the worst. I, I hate absolutely it. hate it. Ugh. I don't it's envy that. Irritating. No, but I don't you will have either. a fabulous house. Of your yes. own at the end of it. Yeah. So it's okay. <laughs> yes. That part I am excited about. Um, and 
it's also, since it's only like a five minute drive away, like so many things about the other move made it seem so much more overwhelming. Like it was four hours away. It was, which isn't like super far, but like it's definitely like mentally a big difference than moving five minutes away. Right. Um, and I had like a house full of stuff that I hadn't gone through in seven years. And <laughs> so that was like a big undertaking and like a basement like that house had like almost more space than I needed. So like I didn't never have to edit. Like there was always space to like throw stuff. And so then I like had to edit so much stuff and that took forever. So I feel like this is like feels a lot more manageable, but also like it's just like mentally doesn't feel the same because I'm like, oh, we're like moving down the street. Like that's fine. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I hate moving so bad. Um, but also we have movers this time too, which like, uh, last time we had movers from DC, but that was the first time we ever like had money to get movers. And so like all the other times we've moved, we've moved all the furniture by ourselves. And that is like the worst. Right. (laughs) I agree. I agree. This last time we moved, we also had movers and I was like, I never again. Like so much. I I can't move without movers because. Well, yes. It's a little ridiculous when we have all this heavy stuff. I remember when Brendan moved out of his um, apartment when uh, he was moving into the house in Wayne where I was. We moved out him out of his apartment. Like he didn't get movers. It was like a one bedroom apartment. Like he didn't have a ton of stuff, but like legitimately like if you're gonna have two people move a bunch of stuff and you think like who are the two people that I would want to who I think I would trust to be the best movers in this situation I don't know that you would pick Brendan and I like that doesn't (laughs) seem to be the best combination (laughs) and he had like two flights of steps in his apartment building and outside there was steps going up to the door of the apartment building and we had to carry all the stuff across a lawn and like kind of up a hill into a oh truck my so gosh. like it was just like furniture like we were carrying all this stuff and I was just like after that I was like I will literally never do this again it was like horrible there were certain things where I was like I don't think we can carry like physically I don't know that we are going to make it like I might get crushed by a dresser <laughs> on the staircase like I don't know <laughs> oh man (laughs) and like legit there were like several times where I was just like help like I just like slowly melted to the ground with like the furniture like on top of me (laughs) oh my gosh we're not doing that ever again because that was really sucky no that's bad I'm I mean I'm never doing it again either but I am lucky that like Danny is a competent mover yes Um, like he's the guy that you would want yes, to bring you over. Would want him. Like he's yes, a strong we would draft guy. Him. Yes. Yeah, he like has the spatial awareness. I lack yes. that completely. I don't. So have like it that. It when I moved with him before, with when we moved actual furniture ourselves, it was awful. But you know he could carry most of the furniture, and I would just have to support it. So that helps right. a little bit. I wouldn't have to carry a ton of weight myself. And then, like I said, with his spatial awareness, like he knew where we should move and put things. And I just kind of had to follow along. And it was, it's hard to let go of control for me. So that was the hard part for me. (laughs) 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 To just like trust that he knows what he's doing, but he knows what he's doing way better than me. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But 
Yeah, I hate it. I know I should never move things. I'm not that strong, and I literally don't understand how things fit through thing. Other like, how do you fit something I don't through either. a door? I can't. Do I it. don't. I don't either. I'm like, I don't know. And then also, height plays a big mm. role because like yeah. if you're taking stuff down steps, mm-hmm. you have to lift it high enough that it can clear. And if it's heavy and I have to like basically hold it over my head to get it off the ground. Yeah. It's like not true. Good. <laughs> yeah. I know. Uh, yeah. Oh, there's a lot about it that doesn't work. Like I feel like the actual strength part of it, I'm like kind of okay. It's like the height that I'm just like, I yeah. can't because like the strength plus the height, like I can't bench this dresser over my head and carry it down steps. Right. But like under normal circumstances, I could probably pick it up and carry it across a floor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, whatever. So we're not moving anything like that. And that's good because I cannot, wouldn't be good. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I understand. Yeah. I'm glad you have movers too. Yes, me too. Um, Yeah. So basically I'm just anticipating moving and that's what's, and not going outside. Apparently that's what's been happening to me. <laughs> um, but I am, speaking of, it's hard for you to to uh, relinquish control when moving maybe you could tell us a little bit more about control in the workplace good transition I'm very proud of that transition (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) Um, but yes I can talk about control in the workplace so let me tell you the article first it's called when does feeling in control benefit well-being the boundary conditions of identity commitment and self-esteem and it's Written by Allison Gabriel, who we featured on the show before. So we'll link to her episode when we interviewed her. Um, and Rebecca Erickson, James Diefendorf, and Daniel Krantz. And it's actually in press right now. So it'll be a 2020 publication. Um, and it was published in the Journal of Vocational Behavior. Awesome. That's yes. exciting. So yes. what, are the, what are the big takeaways or how do you want to kick this off? Yeah, so let me talk about a couple concepts, and then we can talk about what they found. Um, So I mentioned perceived control, so that was their big thing, right? And so this is defined as an event-specific belief. So they looked at, like, stressful events or, like, major things that happen throughout the workday and asking people how they felt that they could affect the change or impact the outcome of that, that thing, that event, or specific task or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so they looked at perceived control. And then they also looked at things that we already know about. We've talked about emotional exhaustion a lot. Um, so their well-being metrics were emotional exhaustion and psychological vitality. And vitality we've talked about as well. So that's like energy and, and vigor throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they were looking at was understanding how somebody feels about their work events and how that impacts their wellness. Mm -hmm. And they looked at nurses. So this was a six day diary study. So we've talked about diary studies before. It's basically um, where people get asked questions at the end of the day or different parts of the day. In this case, it was all at the end of the day Um, and just trying to understand people's experiences from day to day. So now we're looking at how things fluctuate from day to day, not just um, across people, right? But it looking within the person is this, this type of um, approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. 
Um, so they were looking to see how these things fluctuate over the course of the day. Do you know when they measured what? So were they looking at it like across day, like something in the morning predicts something at night or something at night predicts something the next morning? Mm -hmm. So what they did is they looked um, in the evening or at the end of the day, at the end of each shift, not day, because right, these are nurses. So it could be Mm any time throughout the day. Um, So at the end of each shift, the individuals were asked to describe the most salient event that occurred. So they were basically asked, um, well, here's the exact quote. It says, please consider a memorable event from today's shift that is sticking with you. Who was involved, what happened, and what was the outcome? Mm -hmm. So they asked people to describe something that happened while they were there. Then they asked them to talk about, they answered a few questions about how in control they felt. And then they answered some questions about their wellness. So those were all done at the end of each shift. Okay, cool. Awesome. Um, yeah. So I can give you some of the questions they asked too. So they asked the perceived control questions. They were asking people um, like if they felt powerless during the event. They asked them, one of the other statements was, I felt that I was able to cope with the event. So trying to understand how people felt about how much control they had over that specific memorable thing that happened during the shift. Mm-hmm. Then they also, as I mentioned, measured emotional exhaustion, which included things like, I feel emotionally drained, I feel burned out, I feel used up, and then psychological vitality, which is, I feel alive and vital, um, I feel alert and awake. Okay, awesome. So uh, they're basically asking people to recall an event that had happened, then they're asking things about how much control they thought they had over that event, and then they're asking people questions about how well they feel at that time period. Yes, Cool. So, the results. Yes. All right. So, I'm going to give you the first bit of results, and then we're going to talk about a couple other things. So, the first main thing that they found is basically that if you feel you're in control over these important things at work, right? So, if you perceived a control over that event that they mentioned, then the nurses um, had lower exhaustion Hmm. and higher vitality. Hmm. So, and this was also, it's important to note, regardless of whether the event was good or bad. So if I had a horrible event, so let's say I'm in in the ER and I saw a really, really terrible um, situation come in, a really bad accident or whatever, and Mm -hmm. I had this thing, that's the thing that's on my mind right now. Um, Even if it's terrible and even if the event was not resolved. So let's say there was a patient that came in and, you know, had this bad accident and had a really bad arm break, whatever. And I feel really bad about that. And it's still not resolved. Like the person has to have surgery, whatever. That doesn't matter. It could be a a totally negative event without a resolution yet. And if I felt like I could control the situation, I would feel less exhausted and more, um, have more vitality. Hmm. So yeah, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's a good or bad event. That's really, really interesting. Um, so no matter the valence of the event, I am feeling good if I felt I had some control. Do they discuss why control has this impact? Because you would think, like, if I had a bad day, I had a bad day, and I would think about the bad event that's occurring, um, the content of the event, as opposed to whether or not I could control it. Um, so it's a little bit counterintuitive that that would be the case. Um, did they have kind of an explanation for why control mattered so much? Well, the idea is that 
Um, so as they were looking at the different research articles before theirs, you know, like through the lit review, they were talking about how there's a lot of support that having low control over work events tends to increase distress and well-being or ill-being, the opposite of well-being. So there's research out there that shows that um, they they also looked at identity commitment and self-esteem, which is important. So I'm going to bring that up now because this actually kind of ties in nicely to your question. Okay. So in addition to perceived control, they thought, okay, if I have um, a very high commitment to my identity, so what that means is like I value the fact that I'm a nurse in this case, right? I put a lot of value into the fact that I'm a nurse. I'm committed to the fact that I'm a nurse. Um, if that's the case, then things that have an implication for that identity are going to be more important to me. So that means events at work like this really bad car accident that I made up in my head. Um, so let's say you have this bad car accident and how I handle that situation really has implications for my job as a nurse, right? Like if I do a good job with this patient, um, that I'm going to feel good, that I'm good at my job, that I'm, um, you know, it just basically, it's a really important thing that's tied to how I feel about my job and my commitment to my job. Right. Mm -hmm. It makes that event more meaningful. Okay. So that's a big thing here is like, if I have that commitment to my identity, then that event that I'm recalling at the end of the day is more meaningful to me. Hmm. Okay. Um, So that's one thing they were talking about identity commitment. Um, So the more committed somebody is to their identity, the more likely it is that if there's a discrepancy, meaning that I don't, like maybe I'm a nurse in a situation where I have no control. I can't help the patient. I have zero control over the situation. And therefore, I'm going to, that's going to impact me more. Like I'm going to feel bad mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it exacerbates the negative impact of a bad event that I didn't have control over. Does it do anything to make, but if I have control, I still feel equally as positively. So is it, so it only has like that negative impact if I have less control. So that's the theory and what they find. So let me first give you a couple of examples because I feel like in case I'm not explaining identity commitment that well, I want to give some examples of some items. So when people are being asked about that, these are the questions they use. They said, I get a great deal of satisfaction and fulfillment from being a nurse. Being a Mm. nurse is very beneficial and rewarding in terms of my future. People say, I'm right to think being a nurse is important. I get praised for being a nurse, right? So it's like mm-hmm. all these positive things about their job and who they are and like that connection between themselves and, the, and that identity as a nurse. Yeah. Um, and what they found was that people that had this higher identity commitment, right? So they really feel very good about being a nurse. They saw a bigger impact on emotional exhaustion and vitality when they felt like they had control. So Mm -hmm. basically what that means is if I feel this way, then that control is really important to helping me feel better and be more well. Mm -hmm. If I don't have this same commitment, then that control has less of an impact. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So control is particularly important for people who feel really strongly about being committed to that identity of being a nurse or in any profession, if you feel really strong, strongly committed to that, then the control becomes even more important to you. 
Yes. So that okay. kind of does that kind of answer the question that you had earlier? Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm a manager and I know that there are people on my team who are particularly committed to the profession, that they're the people who I need to focus even more on making sure that they have control at, or as as much control as they can over situations that crop up at work. Exactly. Yep. Okay. So that control is just very, it's very important for people that feel very committed to that okay. identity of their career. That makes sense. Um, the one thing that was interesting is that they also looked at self-esteem. Hmm. So for self-esteem, they looked at, um, I mean, everyone kind of has a sense for what self-esteem is, but the questions they asked is, uh, here, let's see. One of the questions was, I feel that I have a number of good qualities, I take a positive attitude toward myself. So it's really like feeling good about yourself, seeing um, worth in yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that is self-esteem. And what they found is that actually that this perceived control didn't really matter as much if you had high self-esteem. So if you have an event that happens at work and you have high self-esteem, and even if you had no control over that event, it doesn't, that doesn't matter. You're still going to be fine. Hmm. So okay. they're seeing self-esteem as almost like a resource. Like if you feel really positively about yourself, then even if you're deal dealt like a stressful event, that's not going to matter as much because this self-esteem is like, oh, well, yeah, I didn't have control over this event. This thing was hard, whatever, but I know I'm still awesome. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to take it as, as bad as somebody who doesn't have that self-esteem. Yeah, I guess that makes sense because you would think of it like, you know, okay, I'm in a bad situation and I feel I don't have control over it. I could place the blame on myself personally or I could place the blame on the situation. And you'd probably be more likely to place the blame on yourself personally if you already had low self-esteem. So like, why was I not in control of that situation? Like, what could I have done differently? Maybe I'm just not good at this. Maybe I could have figured out a way to take control. Like that kind of narrative would be more likely to crop up, I would imagine, for people who are Mm -hmm. lower in self-esteem compared to people who are higher in self-esteem where it's probably like, well, you know what? That situation was outside of my control. It was bad. I didn't enjoy being in that situation, but it doesn't mean that I'm bad at my job. It's something about the context that's causing this to happen and not something about me. Right. Exactly. Yep. So it's basically what, what we're seeing here is that having control is really important if you're committed to really committed to your role in that job. So as a nurse here, right? I'm really committed to being a nurse. Having that control is really important unless I have very high self-esteem, then that control matters less. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense. That's really interesting. Um, So the people that need the control the most are the people who are very, very committed to their profession and also maybe don't feel as good about themselves. Sounds to me, and I don't know if they looked at this, Sounds to me like people who are newer in a profession um, might be particularly at risk because you're like newer and so you might not have built up the the esteem yet to do it, but also you're still like very fresh in the like that like almost like honeymoon phase of being like, I really like this job. I'm doing well at it. Like I'm up to date. I have everything like that. You know, I have all the newest education or like whatever it is. And you kind of come in with um, like a lot of energy around being in that role. I don't know if they mm-hmm. mentioned that at all, but it seems like that might be like a particularly at risk population potentially. Yeah, I think you're right. They didn't mention tenure at all, um, but I think you're right. I think that probably is a very high risk 
um, group. And mm-hmm. I think the fact that the study was with nurses just feels very relevant right now with everything going on with coronavirus and how, um, you know, how the healthcare workers right now are probably very, very stretched and stressed. And there's probably lots of events throughout the day that they can recall and think about how, you know, how in control they were. And there's probably less situations where they have control. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to think about what we can do. And, you know, one thing is thinking about that self-esteem piece. And so mm-hmm. self-esteem is is harder to change, but it's not impossible to change. So if you're a leader and you're seeing that a lot of people are, I mean, everybody's going to be exhausted with everything going on right now. That's just going to happen. But how can you try to buffer that? How can you try to minimize the exhaustion that people are feeling? And Mm -hmm. one thing could be to try to boost people's self-esteem, you know, give them compliments and just little things here and there to make people feel good about themselves um, can really help since there's probably going to be a lot of situations where control is less, less likely right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So focusing on the self-esteem piece might be, um, you know, particularly important under these conditions and, you know, um, maybe, you know, ensuring that if you have people who are particularly identified, you're focusing more on buffering those resources of self-esteem, giving really a lot of encouragement to those individuals and making sure that they know that they're like, you know, good at what they do, et cetera, like boosting that esteem because they might be particularly at risk. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that if there's any way to like give people perceptions of control, so that's the other piece. This is perceptions of control. So how, uh, how in control do I feel? Like it could be that, you know, you can't control that 25 COVID-19 patients walked in the door. Right. And that can be extremely stressful. But what can you be in control of? And trying to anything that does happen, trying to allow people as a leader, trying to allow people to have that control or encourage them to feel empowered to have control. And I think that might be something that um, can actually help right now is I'm guessing if everybody's really busy, then there's probably more responsibility spread to people that maybe don't have as much control day to day so maybe that will help right if I'm a, a nurse that often has to rely on the doctors, but there's no doctor around right now because there's a shortage of, a, of them given everything going on I might have to make more decisions than I have before and maybe that will help people feel a little bit more in control so I'm just like trying to think of like how can this apply and hopefully that's the case hopefully there are situations even in this crisis where people can feel like they have some control over what they're doing and how they're treating patients and um to help reduce some of that exhaustion because obviously the more exhausted our nurses are, the harder this crisis is going to be to handle. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are all really good tips. And, you know, I think in time periods like this, when you're trying to really focus on what are solutions that are going to work, um, I think it's important to be able to be focused and pinpointed. And this article really helps you to know where to put your resources and like to who, um, which I think is really helpful when you have limited time and you feel like, you can't, um, you know, focus on every single thing or doing every single thing right. There are things that are outside of your control. Like from that perspective, it feels like that's a really, really nice uh, piece of uh, the puzzle here is that it helps you to know like, well, who should I target and what should I be, what resources should I be providing them? Because we don't want people to burn out, but we might not have time to do this uh, same thing for every single person. So how do I know how to tailor my efforts. So I think that that's really, really helpful. 
Yeah, I think so too. I think big biggest takeaways are boost people's self-esteem and then if possible, empower them to have control. Or even like as a leader, pointing out places where maybe people don't think that they had control of the situation, but making them feel like they did, right? Like, you know, you were able to do this great thing and like look at the things that you do, make people feel like, that helps boost self-esteem, but also if they feel like they have control because you're letting them have it or you're letting them know that they did, mm-hmm. um, that can help people continue to feel like they have control. So if they feel better about themselves and they feel like they've got some control, it's going to help reduce some of the exha- exhaustion that they're feeling right now. Yeah, that's great. I think that's really awesome. Um, and I guess, you know, asking for feedback, asking for ways to improve upon processes, asking if there's, you know, something that um, even if you just let people have a little bit more control over their schedule or allow people to have, um, you know, the ability to provide um, their input or ideas or suggestions for improvement, like those sorts of things can go a long way. So if you can think about like systemic ways to change the amount of control people have overall, but then, you know, in a situation where things there are still going to be a lot of things that are outside of your control, who do you need to target to make them feel better about themselves in this situation um, using maybe the limited resources that you also have? Um, So find those people who are uh, maybe not as sure of themselves um, and particularly those individuals who seem like they're really eager to be a part of the role, like that combination might be somebody to seek out. Yep, exactly. And of course, I think this is relevant outside of nursing too. So I know we've talked a lot about nursing just because that was the sample they used and it feels very relevant right now, but this should apply across the board. So if you are in a work group and you have a team and you can tell that there's a member of your team that maybe feels a little less confident and, but really wants, like you were saying, a new person that really wants to get it right and loves their job like think about ways that you can implement this across the board doesn't have to just be in nursing or in healthcare. yeah I think that's perfect I appreciate you bringing this up because I think it's really really helpful for people who are coping with this right now and it's also helpful in general across the board because you know people uh, need to understand how to make people feel comfortable in times where things might feel a little bit chaotic so um this might be a particularly chaotic time, but chaos is never, never uh, fully gone, especially in a hospital <laughs> setting or healthcare setting. So I think this is very relevant. Definitely. Well, thank you for listening. And we'd love to hear from all of you listeners as well. Um, so please contact us. You can email us at contact at workerbeing.com. You can find us on social at workerbeing on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can also find us on our website, workerbeing.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts, questions, concerns, and I hope you're having a good day. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabarek and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson.